Welcome to the Juniper and Journey podcast with Kaziah Ritter and Lindsay Heslop. We're so thrilled you're here. This is a podcast dedicated to celebrating the strength and stories of women, good, bad, ugly, and beautiful in their own words. We believe in the power of real conversations, honest confessions, and playful nostalgia. You'll get to hear all kinds of perspectives from all kinds of women about all kinds of things. We'll talk about life and motherhood and loss and faith. We'll reminisce about the good old days, first loves, and old flames. This is going to be fun. Things might get a little rowdy, but we can guarantee it will be meaningful. We hope each woman's story inspires you towards empathy, compassion, and healing. Okay, let's get started. Today's episode deals with sexual assault and rape and may be triggering to some listeners. Please listen mindfully. Today, Ashton Wilkins is joining us on J&J. And I think um, I think the first time I met you, you were still in high school, maybe like a junior or a senior, which feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> and <laughs> um, you've just grown up a ton since then. And now... Um, you're just this really passionate and warm and, and generous woman. And we're just so excited that, that you're here and that you want to share some of your story with us. So, um, welcome Ashton. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I'm excited you're here. Um, tell us really quick, maybe just a quick snapshot of, of who you are and what life looks like for you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a seventh grade math teacher. Oof. The math, the position, <laughs> the teaching position no one ever wants and always <laughs> responds poorly about. Right. I'm sure if I told you as a second grade teacher, you guys would have been like, oh, yeah. yeah, precious. Um, no, I'm a seventh grade math teacher. It's challenging and fun and um, super inspiring often. Um, it's been a really tough year being online and not feeling joy in my job, but just got back with my students this past week. Super fun. Got married a year, like four and a half months ago, five months ago. So that's been a fun change in my life. I actually got married to my high school youth group leader's brother, which is so crazy. (laughs) Like small world. Yeah. You you know, you always think, oh, do I know my husband? You know, when you're like 17 years old. (laughs) I knew my husband when I was like 15. I just never would have thought of him that way. (laughs) I love that. So, yeah. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Yeah, super glad. So today we want to talk about a really um, specific part of your journey, and I would love if you would just kind of start at, um, maybe just walk us through um, your assault and -hmm. what happened that night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I um, had gone to a volleyball game. I played intramural volleyball for CU, and... um, was driving home and was just feeling kind of lonely anyway. Some of my friends were, I know, on a vacation or a trip together and had nothing really to do. And so this man texted me that night and said, hey, you want to come over, hang out, get to know each other? And I was like, sure, why not? Um, Didn't really think much of it. It was like 7 p.m., on like a Tuesday or something. (laughs) So you didn't know him very well, but at some point you had given him your number 
And he was just like, hey, let's hang out. Yeah. And I feel like when I met him, I just felt, I don't know, I felt like we were on the same page and comforted by him. He was very passionate about this, very similar things I am, but Mm -hmm. seemed to be very passionate about people um, and wanting to make a big change in the world and just had big dreams. And I feel... Like it really, it made me trust him. Mm-hmm. Um, it made him, he like almost was sp- seen bigger in my eyes because of that. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, you have these big desires. Um, show up to his little apartment um, and it was like pretty quick. Like, I, I mean, it had to have been the first few minutes that I was like, oof, this feels wrong. Like, just feels funky. It feels different than when I met him. He clearly was under the influence. I don't necessarily know what he had used that day, but he just was different, carried himself differently, responded to me differently. Like I even looked at me differently, like more lustfully. I could even just tell it was just different. And, um, but stayed because I, I don't want, I wanted to see the I see the best in people. Like, I, I didn't want to believe that he wasn't going to be good because he was good at that point in my head. Um, so um, we went to, we like hung out for a little bit, decided to go get ice cream at the McDonald's right down the road, just walked over, um, grabbed some ice cream, had fun. But on the way back, I remember like, again, just getting this gut feeling, walking back and me being like, here, do you want do you want to try my ice cream? And him being like, ew, I'm not gonna touch your germs. Like, that's gross. Why would I, why would I even touch like that's you're disgusting? And I was like, oh, cool. Like felt mm-hmm. pretty crappy in that moment too. Of I don't know, I don't know if like that just doesn't seem it's not kind and seemed really different, I think, than what I'd seen him before. And it just gave me an icky feeling again. Um, but at that point, like Nothing. I mean, I had no reason to to leave. I don't know. And so, and it's so interesting, like just even looking back and being like, "Wow, why did I stay? Why did I stay?" Um, so we went up, and I even remember being in this elevator, and we're dry, we're we're riding up the elevator together. And this to this day, like this moment haunts me, and elevators haunt me. Um, I think because. It was like the first time he really touched me. Like he leaned over in the elevator, just the, him and I, and he kissed me. And I'm sure I kissed him back. I'm sure I felt like a little nervous about it just because of the f- previous feelings. But I think by my personality, I was like, dismiss it, dismiss it. People are good. People are good. You mm-hmm. know, trust him. Um, like I trusted him earlier. We made it upstairs um, to his room, and I feel like things escalated somewhat quickly, and it was clear his intentions, Um, but I feel like I just had a previous history of, um, like, my body was something that got me attention, and it was easy to be like, okay, yeah, like, come come give me attention. and I feel like I'd done that for years, but I was so good at saying, like, people respected my no. And, like, so I had no worry about being like, okay, we can make out. Okay, clothes can come off. Okay, you can touch me here. Like, we can escalate. Um, 
because I'd done it for years. It was my norm. Um, and so things escalated and, um, there came a point where I could tell he wanted to have sex. I mean, he started putting a condom on and I am laying, I'm laying on my back at this point and he's laying, like he's got his arms over top of me and he's putting on a condom and I'm like, no, I don't want to have sex. Um, like I'm not doing that. I have not had sex. Like this is not something I want. And he's like, it just almost like was a manipulated situation, like just once. Well, why don't you just let me just put it in? Like I don't, I don't, we don't need to have sex, but can I just put it in? Or maybe just like five pumps, just, just like just a little. And I'm like, no, I don't want that. And he's like, come on, you have to let me. It's not that big of a deal. And it was like this manipulation of back and forth. And I just remember laying there, like kind of trying to move to the left, to the right, like get my bearings. And... I was so stuck. Like, he's stronger than me. And it's terrifying to think, like, not, I'm not a big woman, but I'm not small and I'm strong. Like, I've always been super strong. And he was not much larger than me, but yet I had no power, none. Like, I was stuck and I had no way of getting out. And he was clearly, like, knew how to manipulate the situation. Um, and so in that moment, like he, and it's, it's, I don't remember very many details here and I'm really glad I don't. And, um, I'm thankful that our brain works the way it does because I don't really remember the experience of being raped at all, but I do, um, remember what happened before. And I remember laying there afterwards, um, and being like, and I mean, honestly, he, he finished, rolled over, fell asleep. And I just laid there for a second, like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Um, yeah. So after I was raped, I got up and got in my car and started to head home. Um, and I think like it was so disorienting in that moment because I feel like even in that moment, like, I guess we, we hear so often, like, how trauma, we react out of, like, fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and I remember reading this book and being kind of confused by my response. But, like, I froze. I mean, that's essentially what I did. And just like um, like an animal in the wilderness, if there's, like, a lion, like, a predator coming after, like, a gazelle, they die, like, they lay flat. And their heart rate goes way down and the animal believes they're dead. And it's like the same thing as almost what I feel like. Like it was just like, I wasn't even there. Like I was just dead in that moment. Um, and so I, I feel like going forward, I was like, what even happened? Did this happen? Like even in that moment when I'm walking out the door um, and driving home, my thoughts like, I'm crying already in the car thinking, what do I do? Do I go to the police? Like, that's what you're supposed to do. I don't want to go to the police. Like, should I? Like, where do I go? Who do I talk to? Well, like, what am I supposed to say? I don't even know what happened at this moment. Like, are they going to believe me? Like, all these questions. And by the time I'd even been able to process, I mean, I didn't live that far. I was, like, already home. 
before I could even process what had happened. Um, and I remember just like this part just so saddens me, but just like laying on my floor for an hour on my, in my bedroom, just weeping. Like, wow, something just got stolen from me and like being so scared and taking a shower and crawling into bed, hoping that I could wake up tomorrow and like have a whole new reality. How old were you? Um, I think I just turned 21. I had just been going to the bars for like a little bit. At what point? So what is the next day like when, when you wake up and how do you, how do you face the next day? Hmm. It's interesting. I don't, I don't even know what the next day looked like. I don't remember that day. I, I mean, as I think, I can't remember one moment of it. I think I just woke up and tried to f pretend like nothing happened and tried to give it no power. Um, I didn't want anyone to know. I didn't want to know myself. I didn't want to face it. I didn't want this to control me. I didn't want this to be my story. So I don't know what that day was. I'm sure that day was, let's pretend, put a smile on, keep going, move on. And I also think it was like, did this even happen? Am I just making this story up? So I think that there was like these two, I mean, I remember for the weeks to come, those were like the things I went through my head of, did this happen? Because it, I don't remember, I don't remember at all. So like, did it? And then also not wanting it to have happened. And if I can't remember, it's easier to pretend. Because he was someone that you knew, mm -hmm. did you hear from him again? Mm -hmm. What was that like? Yeah. Um, he definitely texted me multiple times. I might have, I think I ignored him somewhat and asked him, I think I just turned him down of like, it's, I, I don't, I'm not interested. I'm sorry. I don't want to hang out again. Um, yeah. And he was somewhat easy. To, I think I blocked his number actually. Um, there came a point where after three or four texts, it just wasn't worth receiving any more texts um, from him. So I, I blocked his number at one point. It's interesting like he, I mean, for years to come though, he constantly would add me on different social media platforms. It was weird how interested he was in me. It's almost like he felt so turned down, like he felt rejected in such a big way that he wanted to reestablish a relationship that I wasn't willing to even touch, but it was, I mean, it was hard looking at that name show up on my phone and it would destroy my day. But for some reason, I remember even for like the first year he would add me on Instagram, but I wouldn't want to delete it. And I would, it would remind me every time, like every day for a month before I'd be like, just delete this. I don't know why, but I just, it's almost like I wanted to like it's like it allowed me to feel the pain. It was like the only time because mm -hmm. like seeing the name was like 
like actually letting it in and it was a moment and a snippet and then I could move forward. So it was interesting. Mm -hmm. So at some point, did you kind of decide, I'm not going to tell anyone that this has happened? Or was that something you just kind of moved into, Mm -hmm. like almost a coping thing where you were just like, well, now weeks have gone by and I'm not going to tell anyone. Or was there, it was a decision in your mind where you're like, Mm -hmm. if I don't tell anyone, then this didn't happen. Yeah. So I, I feel like I have to like tell a different piece of my story to even get there. But I, um, I mean, obviously I was somewhat promiscuous before, like I knew my body and I understood how it worked and the eyes of men, but I, I, I held a boundary still within that. Like, yeah, you can like lust over me, but like, you can't just touch me as you want. Um, and so the weeks that followed, it involved a lot of, um, I mean, like a lot of different, I mean, different men, I guess it may be not a lot, but like a few and, um, just knowing them through kind of similar situations through the bars and through drinking and meeting them and going home with them and then having sex with them. Um, and this was so unlike me. I mean, this wasn't necessarily who I had been a month earlier. Um, and so I, I would go home with them and have sex and I'd come home the next day or not come, like wouldn't come home that night, you know, and come home the next day and my roommates over and over, like, where were you? What were you doing? Who were you with? And, um, I know they were super confused because I shifted. And I think I also shifted emotionally, like seemed much more unstable, a lot less confident. I carry myself with like a lot of exuberance typically. And I'm very, exciting and fun. It's just like my personality. And I think I lost a lot of that and they were very confused. So I don't know if I ever prepared myself to tell anybody, but because I just shifted so much, just who I was and my mode, like my goals in life that my friends were very like, Hey, what's going on? Yeah. What's happening? What, what changed? Why are you acting this way? Um, and at that point, like I trusted these women a lot that it felt only right mm-hmm. um, to share with them. Um, I don't even think I really used the word rape in that situation. Like I don't think it's interesting. Like it took me years to even feel comfortable saying that word. Um, and though, I mean, those women that I told at first, like they were so kind and they heard me, but I don't think they knew at all what to do. Um, they were like stunned almost because it was their first experience with someone who'd been in a situation like that. Um, and I feel like I had surrounded myself by people that did not want to have sex before marriage as well. And so it was like, whole new ball. Like, I mean, they hadn't even walked into this world of intimacy. So it was like navigating two unknowns. Hmm. And it was really, it was tough because I, and I felt really isolated in it. Um, And so it just felt weird to talk about. What messages 
either about, about who you were or what was possible for you now? Like what messages do you feel like you started to, to take on or internalize after this happened to you? Mm. I think a big one was that I wasn't in control. Like, I think I felt so independent and so strong for so long. And I all of a sudden was not in control of situations. And it's, I mean, it, and that message really started to play out in my life. Like, having sex with these men, like, it was because I regained my control when my no couldn't be taken from me. Like, I was able to fake my control because I, I mean, no one could take it away. And these men wanted to have sex with me. So it was great. Like I made the choice and I was in control. And so I was trying so desperately to find ways to feel in control in those moments. I think I felt disgusting. Like I just, just dirty and disgusting. And I feel like as I made more and more poor choices after just in order to, to numb the pain or feel better. Like I felt even more disgusting and even more dirty and further from God and further from the creation he made me and didn't really even want to associate that. Um, yeah, I think I just heard a lot of poor messages. I'm not enough. I'm not worth it. Like worth being treated right. I don't know, I guess. And I also heard a ton, like, Oh, I'm never like, things aren't going to be good for me with men. Like that was already messed up. So at what point as you're, you know, living with this now Mm -hmm. and, and, and acting out of these messages, at what point does something shift where you go, I, I don't want this to be, like forever or, or I want something different. Like at what point do things start to maybe turn mm-hmm. inside for you? I think on a daily basis, I wanted to heal. Like it was every day I felt so broken and I felt like there was no healing to be had. And I just kept reevaluating like, what can I do differently? What can change? And it felt very, I felt very stifled like very, very stuck. And I remember sitting there many times thinking, well, I guess this is forever. Like, I guess I'm just never going to heal. Like, I don't, I don't know how to do it. No one knows how to help me. Like I'm alone in this and I'm stuck. Um, thankfully the reality of it is that I had a lot of people looking out for me and just pushing me towards healing even if it was really small and they didn't know how. I mean, I had a friend who put me in touch with a girl who had been kind of more molested at the beginning of college. And she talked to me about talking to her parents and finding healing through talking to them. Um, and which helped me to want to move forward in telling them. And that was hard in itself. Like, I don't know. I think it was good. I think it was the right decision to tell my parents eventually, but there's also a lot of pain behind that. It's, I mean, there's so much pain in watching your mom and dad have to 
feel so sad. Like, so broken and so worried for you. And it's really hard to, to put that pain on a parent. Like, no parent wants to have to hear that. And it's not fair. And it just feels like, I think I remember telling them and being like, well, this is my fault. Like, I went there. I made the choice. I made the choice to stay. And now my poor dad has to sit in this and know this about me for the rest of my life. Um, and my poor mom was just so, I could tell, broken for months, years, I don't know. Like, I feel like it took years before I even got her back and was able to be in relationship with her. Um, so that was hard. And I know it was a good step towards healing, but it didn't feel like it in that moment. Um, and another friend who pushed me towards going to a therapist within her church um, or like counselor, I guess. I don't know. But she, um, she was like, please go. Like, you don't have to stay. You can just try it. I didn't go to this church at the time either, but I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll try it. I'm willing. Like I want to heal. Like I said, I wanted to heal and I felt really stuck and didn't know how. Um, and I felt like every choice I was making was getting me further from my healing process. Um, so to this lady and super kind, um, wonderful person, but was not trained to be a therapist for a young girl who had been raped. Um, especially, I don't think that is something she had walked through herself. And she was a church counselor, I think, who counseled just the families that came in. And she was good. Like, I'm not saying she wasn't good at what her job was, but I just don't think that was her specialty. Um, so counseling felt weird. It was helpful, I guess, looking back on it because she helped me almost reset. Like, say, okay, this is what I want. These are the expectations. I Like, this is what I want for myself. This is where I want to go. But I also felt like there was a lot of church messages that were kind of like almost more shaming maybe. Like, oh, well, having sex with other people means that you are creating heart ties with these people that can never be broken. And your husband someday is, you're going to be dealing with this with your husband someday. And so it's like a lot more shame was being put on me of like, I didn't choose this life and now I can't even be married and have a good sex life. Like mm -hmm. intimacy is never going to look good because I have all these heart ties or like what, it, I'm, I mean, it was good to think about what type of godly man I wanted in my life and realizing like these were the men I didn't want. But at the same time, like I think I constantly felt so much shame around but those are the men that are choosing me. They're the only men that I know how to get because I'd only know how to use my body to get attention. I go to church and they don't see me or they don't give me the attention that I was used to. And so it was confusing. So I just felt really like, yes, she was doing her job and she was doing it not poorly, but it just wasn't what I needed in that time. Um, so there was a lot of different increments of healing and they helped, but I just think I just stayed numb and stuck for a very long time. 
Well, and healing is so, it's interesting because even at that point, gosh, even now, it's like, yes, I want to heal. But what does that actually look like? Mm -hmm. Because then we, that gets skewed too, right? Like, oh, does that mean this this doesn't make me sad anymore? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, like no. it gets evaporated somehow. Just gone. Yeah. yeah. So even our, our definitions of healing or what that is or this end result, right, yeah. of being quote unquote healed, I think we can we can get that messed up too. Or just have it like, yeah, I want that, but what is that even, mm -hmm. right? Like practically, mm -hmm. you know? So I would think all of that in the mix is just very isolating, I would imagine. Totally. Yeah. And I think that healing, I mean, I had never healed from something like this before. Like, right. I had healed from little things that felt easy and quick to heal from. But this was something that would had wounded me in a way. And as I talk about being like forgetting these memories, like when that happens to you, when you suppress memories, our body does it on purpose and it's taking care of us. But when those memories are suppressed, then we aren't able to heal. Like they're stuck. And your body will, I mean, our brain is so powerful because it allows for us to process things in our sleep and process them without even realizing. But when your memory is stuck and your brain isn't allowed to touch it, then you can't heal. Mm -hmm. Like your body isn't doing what it's supposed, your brain isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And it's out of protection. Right. And now I know that. <laughs> but yeah. So was there a point that your brain was able to touch those memories and mm -hmm. kind of work through that? Yeah. Yeah. It was years and years of feeling stuck and going back and forth looking for ways to heal if that was negative or trying to find positive. Um, I finally met my husband um, two, two and a half years ago, I guess. Um, and I think I was kind of in a, a place of decent health, like it wasn't super affecting me. The longer you go, like, get away from an event, it doesn't feel as immediate and as scary. It's easier to forget. <laughs> um, so I was in a better place. And even then, I remember knowing pretty quick, like, this man is the man I'm going to marry, like, within a few weeks. And within a few weeks also, I remember making out with him and being terrified, mm. like, pulling back scared out of my mind of him touching me and this had happened it wasn't like the first time it wasn't because of him um I remember going through moments like this and thinking this can't be my story and it's not fair to a man that I'm already falling in love with and I already so much see so much goodness in our relationship it's not fair for me to be stuck in this spot and think and feel like I can't move forward with him in as deep of a way as I want. Um, I'm sure I could have not gone to therapy and we would have been okay, but we would have just been okay. And I think I felt that of, I want to do better than where 
I am right now. Um, I remember talking to him and he was just so good and loving. And I told him the story of what had happened. And he's like, like when I met him, he was just this hard man that had such a hard exterior and wanted to be so tough, like tough guy mentality. And I remember telling him the story and he just wept and being like, wow, I didn't know you could be like this. Um, And seeing that in him and seeing how broken it made him made me be like, I have to do something. Um, So I started to look for a therapist, felt very overwhelmed. I was like, how do you find this? Right. Like, what do you do? Type counseling into the internet? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was like, and I had insurance through Denver Public Schools. And I'm like, I have to pay for this? (laughs) Like I have to pay for something, pay a lot of money for something that feels scary and yeah. And so I was at school one day, hilarious on my plan period, searching in Google counseling. Um, And there's a girl that is my friend. She's sitting next to me and I'm like, hey, you know any therapists? Maybe any of them? (laughs) Because I don't, can't find anyone that I like on the internet. Like they all seem like, no. Um, and she's like, yeah, totally. Let me send you this lady's name. Sends me her name. I'm sitting there with her next to me. And I open up her page and it says um, sexual, like certified in sexual trauma or her specialties in sexual trauma. And I was like, don't let her see what, what that I'm reacting over this because I don't, she doesn't know that piece of my story. I mean, not that many people do. And so I, I instantly felt like, I think I just wrestled with God for so many years of feeling like he had not been there. He had not healed me. He had not protected me. He had not supported me in this. Like I'd been stuck for so many years and he hadn't done anything for so long. And in that moment, I remember feeling like, okay, God, you see me, you have it. Like you have something for something good for me. Um, and I don't have to be stuck like you have something. So it felt really safe. This lady felt safe from the moment that I saw her profile. And, um, and I think that just on top of that and knowing Tanner and knowing that like, I loved him and I wanted to, I wanted something good. Um, like so many other people have. And so I saw her and this experiencing with experience with therapy was very different. She, uh, we, we, I spent months with her still actually am in contact with her and in the moments I need her, I don't see her on a weekly basis, but after telling her my story and it was really cool because I think I was at a place where I wanted healing. And so there was no like walking around the subject. Like I feel like so often therapy can be about like, it's really scary, but I was like, Nope, I'm ready. I'm doing this. And uh, let me just vomit on you. What exactly what I need to fix. And she was funny because she was like, wow, people don't usually tell me so much in the first session. I was like, <laughs> one, it felt like God put me here. And right. two, I, I need healing. Like, I need this. I need mm-hmm. something to change. Um, and yeah, and so we talked through a lot of the issues. We talked through my rape in a lot of ways, how it had been making me feel, how my relationships had changed, like how did I react with men? Like we talked about a lot of different things before she asked if I would be interested in EMDR. It 
was such a game changer um, in my healing process. Uh, It was scary and it was hard. And I think I was terrified of it at first because it felt weird. I remember her explaining to me like, you're going to hold this thing that's going to buzz in your hands. It's going to make your brain do different things than it mm-hmm. normally does. And we're going to walk through really intense details of your story, like scents, like the smells and the tastes. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. I don't even know if I know my story. And I'd already felt a ton of shame and at this point about the fact that I didn't remember so many pieces. The way that it works, like I had talked about how like when you suppress Like when you suppress memories, then like the healing can't happen. But essentially EMDR helps you to take that out of your trauma, that memory, that experience out of your trauma brain and into your brain that allows for you to heal and work through it. And so I don't know how many sessions later, but I showed up one day and I told my therapist, I go, what happened to me? I'm better. Like I feel different. (laughs) And I know I wasn't perfectly better, but I felt this sense of relief that I hadn't felt in like seven years or eight years or whatever, seven years for so long. And she was like, I know it's weird, isn't it? Like you, your brain is doing the healing it's been supposed to be doing for seven years. And now you're like making steps forward. So knowing that this, you know, EMDR therapy and and this really specific counseling has moved you forward in so many ways. Um, are there still things about your trauma mm-hmm. that that have shown up um, in your marriage and in intimacy with your husband? Like, what has that been like in this relationship with him? It's such a hard topic to talk about. It's such a right. s- secret, I think, between you and your husband. And it should be obviously sacred between you and your husband, but I feel like it doesn't allow, it It makes you feel shame when mm-hmm. there are issues in your sex life. Sex is not, especially for someone who's endured trauma, but it's not just a body thing. Like everything could be happening correctly with the anatomically, but <laughs> right. my brain may not allow for it to be safe. Um, yeah, so it took, it took, I mean, more therapy and more conversations and conversations between him and I of this is how I'm feeling and this is what is going on. And um, just even having him know that, like allowed for some, a different type of peace and be like, okay, it's okay. He knows. I don't have to worry because he knows what's going on. And even for him to be like, you're safe, Ashton. You're safe. Like you're protected. It does not matter what happens here tonight, but like you're safe. And and I love you no matter if it works, like if, if your body's working or if your body's not. Um, and so that was hard. And that was like really, I mean, we... I mean, I even feel like big events always bring up new pieces of trauma. And so these last few months have also just been challenging in a lot of ways because I like there's expectations behind sex and expectations behind what you want something to look like. And um, and I don't know. So that's hard in itself. Um, I think another big area is just I lived for so long pleasing somebody. Like, 
these different men and saying, okay, like you want sex? Great. Let's have sex. Or you want this? Okay, great. Like I'll give you that. I mean, I talked about not wanting my no to be stolen from me. So it was always a yes. And even with Tanner, I have to watch myself of like, no, like this, I'm allowed to say no and that's okay. And I'm allowed to, um, I'm allowed to not want that right now because I wasn't safe. I mean, it felt it felt easier to say yes. And so that's been hard too, to walk through. So being at this place that you're in now with this, as you look back, you know, seven, seven years ago, six, seven years, what do you feel like you needed from the people around you um, that you weren't getting mm-hmm. or that they just didn't know how to give you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like sexual assault, rape, being molested, all of those things are just a really taboo subject, um, really scary subject to broach. I feel like even hearing a story of someone being raped, like it makes us feel so nervous and so shameful, like in ourselves, like it's mm. like, <gasps> scary. Um, and so I feel like a lot of my, my people, they did not do anything wrong in the way that they handled it, but I think they didn't know how, I think they were afraid of the subject is the way I perceived it. Um, they were afraid to bring it up. Um, and talk about it because it was scary for them. And so I'm sure they thought it was probably scary for me. Um, But it is really healthy and really good to talk about things or even just to be asked. Like I didn't need someone to be like, how, like, do you want to talk through the experience of your rape? Like I didn't need that. But there, I wish I had more people checking in and being like, how are you doing with things this week? Has there been triggers? Is there anything that you need to to feel safe this week? Can I can I sit with you and talk about it? Do you want to? Like, I didn't need people to ask me a really specific question, but just even open the door, showing me that they know I'm hurting and they know I'm scared and alone in this, and be willing to talk about it because I feel I think I felt bad talking about it because I knew I knew people. It hurt people to talk about it almost because it was sad to talk about. And also be okay when someone says no, like not right now. Thank you. And then be okay with asking again later. I also think recognizing big events trigger trauma. I think that's another thing. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I I don't know. I, I haven't talked to other people, but I can only imagine that big changes would cause just disruption in your normal life anyways, which disrupts your normal, like makes you reactivates trauma at times. So I think it would have been really cool for a friend to be like, hey, you just got married. How has sex been with Tanner? Like how has your trauma disrupt, like how has that been disrupting your sex life? Is Mm -hmm. there like, do you want to talk about that? Like, even that and remembering that sometimes it's nice, even though I feel in a good space, it would be really nice for a friend to bring that up. Talk a little bit about, if you will, um, what prompted you to want to be here today to 
mm-hmm. have heard some of the stories of women and kind of arrive at this place where you go, like, I think this is something I should do. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's been a piece of me a long time that has felt the only good thing that can come from this is to help others heal. Like not a lot of good has come from it. So sharing my story and watching other women or men or whoever, because women aren't the only people who go through this, like be able to listen and be able to relate and be able to hear um, that they're not alone. I feel like listening to this podcast, many women have shared their stories and I've I feel like a Taylor a couple ago, like ago was like, it's cool how me sharing my story helped a woman heal. And hearing that really reminded me that that's my goal in this. It's like the good piece of this and I can do that and I can help other women heal. And so my hope is that I can mm-hmm. um, by sharing this story. So I'm curious about, and you may not, be able to really identify this, which is probably the answer (laughs) in and of itself. But what is that thing, that voice that shows up in a story like this? And seemingly a quick voice, Mm -hmm. right? For you and for others that says what, was this something I did? Mm-hmm. Was this my fault? Mm-hmm. Did I bring this on myself? Did this happen at all? Yeah. Like those kinds of things, where does that voice come from? And how do we how do we listen to a different voice? Yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I fully know the answer. I just think it really boils down to shame. Like, I think in that very moment, I felt so much shame and it covered me the moment I was raped. And I feel like shame is so powerful because it can twist and shape something that is true into something that's completely false. Um, help you, it changes your, it makes you think about your story differently, mm-hmm. almost. Shame was convincing me to keep quiet, to not be vulnerable, to not share, to be alone in this. But I was, like it was convincing me that I was alone in this. And so I feel like that's probably where it comes from. And I also feel like shame creates a like a blame game mm-hmm. in general. And I I just think part of it too is we don't have language or just we haven't done a good job of talking about sexuality in these nuanced ways. So it makes it, we arrive at these conclusions so mm, quickly, right. which is why can't I show up somewhere? Mm-hmm wanting to be desired without wanting sex. Yeah. Right? Like that has become, it's almost like that's synonymous now. Hmm. Or I can't be, I can't want to feel attractive and sexy without somebody thinking I owe them this now. 
And it's, it's like, there's not room for wanting to be desirable Mm -hmm. or attractive or sexy. And, and it, and it stopped there. Like it has totally. Yeah, absolutely. It's just this, I don't know, this terrible confusion Mm -hmm. of all of this, which is, I think even to your point of like, why did I stay? And like that shame message of, well, even being desired. Mm Mm-hmm. You shouldn't want to be desired. You shouldn't want to be kissed. You shouldn't want those things. And so then that was abused and distorted and manipulated. Mm -hmm. And that that's not your fault. Yeah. That is not on you. And where do we try to like shove something like this into an equation? Yeah. Right. And on the back end, going oh my gosh how did I get here what was the equation for me to end up at this moment result yeah it must be I must be part of the equation yeah and I just it's just so interesting right how we're Mm -hmm. the parts of us that are wired and then the parts of us that are Conditioned. Conditioned and then, Mm -hmm. and also just, yeah. And then even just the biology that you were talking about of things that our brain does with trauma and where that's put. And then put in an environment where then we we make these assumptions or we have to put these things together somehow and make it make sense, quote unquote. Yeah. I have to blame myself in some, Mm -hmm. on some level for this. When I feel like we're also trained since a childhood by our parents, by our teachers, and they are not doing anything wrong in training us to be problem solvers. I had a problem in that moment. And I I had to figure out, well, where did the problem come from? And I, I think my first instinct is be like, oh gosh, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Like, what was, how was I a part of this problem? Right? Just like I had done for so many years in my life, just as you guys do it in your life, right? Like, how am I a part of this problem? And I don't know if I'm, I think it took so long to separate those of like, just because I was, just because I made this choice does not mean that it it justifies justifies his decision. As I was talking, like, I went into freeze, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this moment of reacting out of trauma in freeze. And I think that reaction carries a lot of shame in itself because why did I not fight? Why didn't I like kick mm. him in the balls? Right. Like, I, I mean, that probably would have stopped it. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, probably. Think about it. Or why did I like, I don't know, like why did I choose, why did I freeze? Because now, because I froze, it feels more like my fault, right? Because it didn't do anything. Like I said, no, but I didn't do anything. Well, yeah, and that's another layer of the shame, right? If you can, it's one thing to go, oh, I feel shame about this decision I made. It's another layer of shame to go, the primal instinct my body had Mm-hmm. That actually I had no real or I don't remember control <laughs> over in the moment. Yeah. Failed me. Mm-hmm. 
Who failed me? My own body. Right? That's shame right there, too, saying my own body didn't react in a way that was... Especially I would as a consider, fighter. Yeah, right. it wasn't fight. I'm a fighter. Or it wasn't like, escape. Yeah. yeah, my own biology. Yeah. This visceral reaction I am not consciously choosing mm-hmm. to feel like is betraying myself. But the craziest piece of, as you asked this, I remember last week sitting and being, questioning why I'm coming on this and thinking, does this even happen to me? Like that went through my head and I've gone through EMDR. I've gone through a lot of trauma therapy. I've talked about it with a lot of people. I've felt a lot of healing with my husband. And yet a week ago, I said to myself, why are you even going on here? You just made this story up. That voice still is. It still exists. And I have to say, no, Ashton, this, this is, that's not true. Mm -hmm. It is not a true statement. I don't know why it sticks around for so long, but I have to, I mean, there's just, I feel like I've done a lot of retraining my brain to like recognize what is not true and be able to own what is true. And so it's it's been a lot of having to check myself and be like, okay, this lie still exists, but what is really true? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, I'm a really good morning person. <laughs> like I love mornings. <laughs> Weirdly. Um I feel like I don't really need a lot. I just get excited to have a new day and excited to, I don't know, just find ways to connect with people in that day. Um, yeah, it's been hard. Actually, it's interesting being stuck at home. I feel like I actually was stuck in bed. I didn't have a lot getting me out of bed, but it's funny how this past week my alarm goes off and I'm so excited because I get to go to school and connect with people where I feel excited to get out and start to get back there um, mm-hmm. and connect and know and create relationships. And what is the thing that keeps you up at night? Um, I don't know. Nothing. I'm a really good sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> I usually close my eyes and I'm asleep in like 30 seconds. I know people envy that. And honestly, when I don't, I go get my sleepy tincture and take it and I'm asleep in 10 seconds anyways. So not a lot, but I think something that stresses me out is just like, did I make people feel loved and did I feel loved that day? Like I, I think I worry about that a lot, but definitely doesn't keep me up. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ashton, thank you feels like not a strong enough word to say um, to you just about how we feel about you being here. Thank you for your bravery and your resilience and just the willingness to to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel yeah, just totally humbled and, and honored that you would choose choose this as a way to to bring light to something. So Mm -hmm. thank you so, so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Juniper and Journey podcast. If you heard something that resonated with you or that you have questions about, we would love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram at Juniper and Journey and slide into our DMs. It would be our treat and total privilege to chat with you. We all have a story. If you'd be interested in sharing yours here on the podcast, please reach out. Bye for now. Cheers. Cheers.